to Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, beginning there in verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then I want you to turn over to verse 16 of Matthew chapter 1, Matthew 1 in verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David into the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon into Christ are 14 generations. Now, the birth of Jesus was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. A key word there, the fulfilling of the prophecies concerning the coming of our Lord. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, We know which prophet this is referring to. This is the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, A virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. The incarnation of Christ, God taking on flesh, dwelling among his people, God with us. And so he has several names, does he not? It would take a trillion names to describe all the offices and work of our Lord, but these enumerated to us by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jehovah saves. Emmanuel, God is with us. Christ, Messiah, the sent one. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. The king is coming. That's the theme of the scriptures from Genesis chapter 3, the first mention, the first reference there into the end of the scriptures. The major theme of the Old Testament prophecy is that the king is coming. Messiah who would come and set up his kingdom. And the word, as we mentioned, Messiah means sent one. The kingdom of God on earth who would personally reign over all creation. Then in various ways, they foretell us of his power and of his wisdom and of his might and his holiness and his authority. And even in these genealogies, his right to rule and reign, who he is, where he came from, his design to reign, not just over Israel and the Jews, but over all the earth. As I've mentioned, the very first reference to this is found in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15, the prophet is God himself. He gives this prophecy that the king will have power, the authority to bruise Satan's head. That is to take back, to regain all that 
man forfeited when he yielded to Satan's lies and temptation to sin. Adam and Eve, though they might not have fully understood all that their sin entailed, they gave up the dominion and all that God had designed for them in their rightful place. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came back to regain that. And here he tells in his cursing of Satan that there will be one from the seed of the woman. And that must have rang in the ears of Satan because he, from that point on, and even at that time, tried to thwart. Of course, his tempting of Eve was to thwart the coming of a Messiah, of a coming of the Savior, even before they sinned. Genesis 49 verse 10 tells us that from him, from Jesus, the, the, this king, the promised one, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, that word Shiloh is referring to Christ or Messiah, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That prophecy could never refer to any of the Old Testament kings. None of them fulfilled the, 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 the specifications of the prophecy. It could only refer to Jesus Christ. We see in the second Psalm where God is speaking, Yet have I set my king, referring to his coming son, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. That sounds a lot like the Great Commission, doesn't it? To Jerusalem and Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. Ask, and I'll give of you the heathen as part of your treasure, part of your people. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, referring back to those on earth. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Oh, what glorious prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. Here in, in Psalm 24, we can look at many of the Psalms. We will not do that this evening. Psalm 24, the psalmist calls this coming one the King of glory and the Lord of hosts, of all the angelic hosts, greater than any angel, greater than any created being. The Lord of hosts that shows his power and his might that all the legions of angels at his beck and call. The King of glory the ruling one full of glory and majesty, as well as the Son. We have all these titles ascribed to Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. The prophets describe this coming king as both human and divine. We cannot miss it. They paint such a vivid portrait of him in all their prophecies combined. Isaiah tells us that he would be born of a virgin, as we've read in chapter 7, verse 14, prophecy that comes and then reiterated in the scripture that we read in, in Matthew. In Isaiah chapter 53, that he would be despised, that he would be forsaken and stricken and pierced and crushed and chastened and beaten, oppressed and afflicted, all those horrible things that Isaiah 53 tell us will become him. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 describes 
King Nebuchadnezzar is seeing a fourth person, as was preached on Sunday night, in that fiery furnace, likened to the Son of Man, pointing to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, verse 6, in that mysterious and marvelous prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, as having the government resting on his shoulders, that his name would be called of, of several things. And as we referred to, the, the myriad of meanings of his name, he will be called wonderful. That points to his mysterious and glorious virgin birth. Counselor, all the wisdom of God is, dwells in him. The mighty God, all the power on earth, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. The everlasting Father, showing that God the Son is co-equal with the Father. The, king, the Prince of Peace, that He alone will be one who will be able to bring about on this earth what we sang about tonight. We think about Prince of Peace and Peace on Earth, and those are catchphrases uh, during the Christmas season. And yet, as the, the songwriter bowed his head and cried, there's no peace on earth tonight. Even as we sign Christmas cards and give those wishes, there's wars all over the, the world and, and unrest in our own nation. There's no peace. How can it be? We think there's no king, no legislator, no parliament, no constitution that could assure peace. But this one, when he comes to rule and reign, will bring absolute subjection to his sovereign will. And there will be peace on earth. Verse 7 tells us that this coming king's kingdom will ultimately bring about world peace, of which there will be no end. Speaking of the eternal day, after his thousand-year reign will usher in the great day of the Lord, where there will be peace forever and ever and ever, something that we cannot even surmise, that he will sit on the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. He says, from now on, and then on top of that, forever after that. And it's because human logic cannot comprehend a time of, we can't comprehend forever and then forevermore and from henceforth. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts, we wonder, how can this be brought to pass? Who could rule this earth when there's so many warring factions? Think of the religions, the world religions alone who are so hostile to one another. Only the King of kings and Lord of lords and Prince of peace will be able to do that. All the Old Testament prophecies tell, prophets tell us this. Micah prophesies, one of the most interesting uh, prophecies in all the Old Testament is where he'd be born. Unlikely, unremarkable Bethlehem. Micah tells us in Micah 5 verse 2 that the king would be born there but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, not even one of the bigger populations in, in, in the, among the Hebrews, even though you're little, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. That could fit no earthly king. Who has origins back to everlasting and forever, whose goings forth have been from everlasting. This king from the little town of Bethlehem will be the eternal son of God. Oh, how plain these prophecies are. And I want to remind you tonight that when the wise men get to, the, to and ask Herod, the king, where he'd be born, and Herod asked the, the scribes, they knew exactly, didn't they? What were they basing it on? Micah told them they all knew the, the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. But did any of the hierarchy go to find it out, to seek it out? 
Did the high priest, did the king, did any of the scribes of the Pharisees follow the Magi to see? No, they categorically rejected it and put it aside that it could not be. Zephaniah tells us that the Jews, tells the Jews that when the king comes, he will be king of Israel and the Lord in their midst. God in their midst. Jehovah sovereign in their midst. Zechariah 9 verse 9 tells us that he will be just and that he will be endowed with salvation. And in Zechariah 14, 17, that he, when he does set up his kingdom, every family on earth will travel to Jerusalem to worship the king. The Lord of hosts. Can you imagine what a pilgrimage that will be? Put it all together and we see that this coming king, this king who is coming, who has come and who will come again, the Messiah will be all-powerful, both man and God at the same time, and that he will rule the earth in absolute righteousness and peace. What a king this is. All the Old Testament prophets give us a glimpse of him. But none of them had all the pieces to themselves. Micah would give his prophet, prophecy. Ze- Zechariah, Isaiah. But we must blend them all together in the canvas of God's word to have the full orb picture of our coming king. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, the New Testament, the commentary on the old. Peter s- sums it up like this. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. You see how clearly that that the prophets testified before Jesus came to earth that he would suffer, Isaiah and others, the sufferings of Christ, and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which thing, things the angels desire to look into. The four gospels fully identify and verify this king, that he is our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The first gospel, which we're looking into this evening, the gospel according to Matthew, he has presented, Matthew's whole thrust is to present the Messiah as the king, the king of the Jews, the coming king. Every emphasis in Matthew's gospel is to do just that. Matthew, along with the other gospel writers, give example after example, in situation after situation, to show that Christ, the king, The Messiah has come to earth. He fulfills all the requirements that God set forth for him to be. We've just looked at a few of them tonight. But Jesus Christ is the only one who could meet the requirements of the Old Testament prophecies that the Holy Spirit laid down for him. All the New Testament unveils the king, the promised Messiah. The the 27 books which make up the New Testament, his kingdom or words describing his kingdom is used 147 times. The gospel accounts record the the same events of, of the king from four different perspectives. They are not in disagreement. I had a preacher friend who has called me on last Wednesday. Preachers call each other on Wednesdays and Saturdays when they're preparing. He said, get your Bible. I said, I am studying to preach. He said, get your Bible. I've got a problem here. 
And he began to go through the, the, the gospel, Luke's account of the Last Supper. And he said, it doesn't agree. It doesn't agree with Matthew and Mark and, and John. And I let him run, r- ramble around and he got to the end of his tether. And I said, let me remind you that each of the, the gospel writers are telling their part of it. They don't all de- de- declare that they're telling every single thing that happened. If you'll read each of the accounts in the order that they give them, and we, I just gave him, not that I'm a know-it-all, I just gave him some advice. And he called me back later and said, that's it, that's it, I see it. And then he began to teach me all about what I just told him it was in, in the scriptures. And I said, yes, that's, that's what it says. If there's a problem, the problem is with us. It's not with the scriptures. But the gospel writers give us a snapshot from a different view. If we were all on each uh, side of the corner down here and someone runs the red light and crashes into the tree over there, we'd all have a different perspective of it. And uh, we'd all have a different view of what happened from our perspective of it. And, and if we knew the person, that would color it. If we were with them, that would color it. And so we see these, these snapshots, these portraits painted by the, the gospel writers are from the perspective, and the Holy Spirit uses their perspective and their personality to tell us of the Lord Jesus Christ. They give his message, the same message, yet each one of them from a different emphasis. And as we've mentioned, Matthew presents him as the king. He presents this gospel in that way by giving his royal credentials, his lineage. He gives Jesus his genealogy from back to Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people. There's a very specific reason, a slant that he gives. And Luke's genealogy gives a totally different perspective, but... Matthew goes back to Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people, and he goes through David's royal line, Israel's favorite and most exemplary king. He was the standard of all Israel of what king should be. With all of his faults and failures, David is considered Israel's greatest king. The whole thrust of Matthew's gospel focuses on Jesus' kingship. He presents Jesus as the Messiah, the king revealed, and then as the king who is rejected By his own, he comes to his own, and his own receives him not. And then he presents him as the king who will return. He's traced to the royal lineage of Israel, and he's heralded back by the last of the Old Testament prophets, John the Baptist, who proclaims that the king and the kingdom is at hand. That was the emphasis of John's preaching. We've just studied the Sermon on the Mount. You may not realize it, but we've been over a year just in that one sermon of Jesus Christ. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights and finishing that up just last week. Over the last year, which is the kingdom manifesto. That's the manifesto of the kingdom, of what Jesus Christ says constitutes genuine salvation. And it gives us a peek, not only of how Christianity should be lived out in this life, but what will be the rule of the land when King Jesus rules on earth. That's how things will be. What a glorious thing it will be. His miracles are his royal credentials. No man could do the things that Jesus did except God were with him. The people testified. Of course, he is God. That's why he can do those miracles. Matthew also presents the king who is coming, who will judge the earth and rule and reign. In chapter 24, verse 30, we read, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send out his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. 
And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. This is the king who is coming. We notice there in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thus Matthew begins in chapters 1 and 2 to prove and declare Jesus' right to be Israel's king. What right does he have to be king and Messiah of Israel? Jesus will declare with all assurance in John 18 verse 7 when Pilate asks, Are you a king then? Pilate just gets down to the point and asks him point blank, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. You say it. And then he says, To this end was I born. And there Jesus is testifying to his royal lineage, that I am in the the royal line to be king, and I am king. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. What truth? The truth of all the Old Testament prophecies, everything that the Scripture describes of him. Matthew sets out to prove the earthly Jesus' royal line and his pedigree. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised to David through Nathan the prophet that it would be through David's descendants that the king would set up and come and reign over Israel to establish his eternal kingdom. That's one of the glorious things in the Davidic covenant. God told David, your seed from your lineage there will be Messiah will come to rule forever and ever. What a prophecy. Talk about a legacy. David, through you and your lineage, will Messiah come. The historian Josephus, who wrote in the first century, writes that in the New Testament times, the Jews kept careful and highly detailed genealogical records. In fact, every Jewish boy had to memorize his genealogy all the way back as far as they could. And and, uh, that was okay. There was no problem in doing that because, of course, they had all those records all the, the begats, and every Jewish boy had to be able to quote his genealogy. And that was okay until there's a problem that has disrupted that. Those of you who know history, that, and they could tell you what tribe they came from, and that was very important. Remember when Paul gives his, his testimony of the tribe of, the ben, the tribe of Benjamin, and he goes all the way back and tells all about his pedigree. But in AD 70, the temple was destroyed and ransacked and burned. All the records were burned. The exact, we have in the scriptures, parts of them. And, and, but we're not talking about the specific ones of each individual that were there, the records that were, were held. They were all destroyed. Every bit of it was destroyed when the temple was burned in 70 AD. All their ancestral records were gone. And so have you ever considered the fact that Jesus Christ is the last verifiable claimant to the throne of David. Matthew starts at Abraham, and he works down to Jesus, from Abraham to Jesus. Luke starts at Jesus in his genealogy and goes back to Adam. Matthew traces Joseph's line, and Luke traces Mary's line. You have two different perspectives here, as we've already noted. Through Joseph, though Joseph wasn't the physical father of Jesus, he was his legal father. He was his legal guardian. 
Joseph was a descendant of David. So in both these genealogical accounts, we see Jesus is perfectly and literally, literally qualified to take David's throne. Luke's genealogy follows the royal lineage on Mary's, his mother's side, back through another son of Solomon, Nathan. And so Jesus was the blood descendant of David through Mary and the legal descendant of David through his, the legal father, Joseph. You see how careful and meticulous the Holy Spirit is to emphasize and to tell us these things. Matthew begins his record by telling us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and how uh, by virtue of his lineage, and he gives us his name. His name is Jesus or Jehovah saves. The angel tells Joseph in the, the record here that that's exactly what he was to name him. Can you imagine that from heaven we have the name? I'm sure some of you, those of you who have children, it was difficult for you to decide on names. There was no problem here. They were told that you're going to have a baby, there's going to be a son, and this is what you're going to name him. The angel came to calm Joseph down, and we can all understand the mystery, the confusion, the heartache, the hurt, the emotion that, that Joseph was feeling and the bewilderment of Mary. And in fact, we, we cannot really understand all that, can we? I mean, that's so, so beyond us. But so the angel, the Lord, so graciously, not only is he going to perform a miracle in this family, he sends a messenger from heaven to straighten out the situation. And so while Joseph is in a deep sleep, an angel comes from heaven to verify that Mary indeed was with child, just as Mo, uh, uh, Joseph had heard. By divine miracle, we see it there in verse 18, the Holy Spirit says, this is how it is. It's on this wise. You see how exact the scripture is. This is what took place. This is exactly how it took place. How verifiable, how trustworthy the biblical record is given to us. The way that Matthew puts it, this is not hearsay. This is how it happened. When his, as his mother Mary was espoused or engaged, betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, how careful the Holy Spirit is to point out there was no sexual relations between Joseph and Mary prior to this time. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And that's all that Matthew tells us about that event. Luke gives us a little more detail, and yet... It's not, uh, not much more than that, but that this is a miracle. It's something that God himself has performed. Verse 21 tells us why he come, he's coming. One reason that he's coming to this earth. Why all this prophecy, why all of this uh, miraculous happenings and the, of all the events around the birth of Christ, for one reason, he shall save his people from their sins. His name is Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word anointed from the Hebrew word Messiah. Christ means Messiah or anointed one, sent one. Jesus was anointed like no one else before him in Israel. The prophets of Israel were anointed for their service. They would be set apart and the, the anointing oil would be poured on their head. And the, the scripture tells us, uh, and that's Psalm 132 about the, the, the blessed of unity among God's people. It's like the oil that poured down Aaron's head and beard and down to his garments. The priest would be anointed in that way, and the king would be anointed. But 
No one was ever, ever in the Old Testament anointed as prophet, priest, and king. So each one of these offices were installed by anointing. And here Jesus is declared as the anointed one. However, because of the unbelief or self-righteousness of the vast majority of the Jews of Jesus' day, they refused to recognize him, refused to accept him as their Messiah. He was from his parents that, that they knew. He was so common. How could the Messiah be from pe- people they knew? If they'd stop to think about it, that's what Messiah was promised to come through the Jewish people. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse 53, it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished. And they said, Whence hath this man wisdom and these mighty works? Where did he get this? And you know why they were reasoning that way? Is not this the carpenter's son? They still were ascribing to his father as being Joseph. He was his legal guardian. Is not this the carpenter? They all knew Joseph's business and carpentry and who Joseph was. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Where did he get this teaching? How does he know this stuff? How does he have this power? We know his people. And in the South, we, we understand that. Those who've lived in the same counties, we always, in the, Alabama, what county are you from? And are you from you know, Tuscaloosa County or Jefferson County or Walker County? Who are your people? Well, I'm of the Lambs. Are you of the, the Green County Lambs? Or are you from the Marion County Lambs? And they all try to trace you back to the land and to the people. Well, that's, they knew his people. They, they, his, his brothers and sisters were still among them. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Later in John chapter 7, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, they said of a truth, this is a prophet. Others said, this is Christ. This is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David? And out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was, if they'd done a little bit more research, they'd have found out that he met those qualifications. But because he came from Nazareth, that was his hometown, that's where he was raised, how could this be the Christ? He's from Galilee. And they didn't think any good thing could come out of Galilee. We know the Bible. Christ will come from Bethlehem, and he'll be of the lineage of David, where Jesus was. So there was a division among the people because of him. And there always has been. We see here in verse 16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. You'll notice how careful the Holy Spirit, Joseph is called the husband of Mary, never the father of Jesus. People will ascribe that, but the Holy Spirit never refers to Joseph as the father of Jesus. He's referred to as a just man, a a justified man, a godly man, an admirable, admirable man, but never as the father of Jesus. What a picture of God's grace we see here in the choice of who is to be the mother of Jesus. Yes, she was literally a descendant of the royal line of David, but she was also an ordinary, obscure young lady. For one thing, she was not herself sinless as the Catholic Church teaches. 
She must have been a fine, morally upright, highly spiritual young lady. For out of all the women on earth of her day, or who had ever lived, or who ever would live, God in his infinite wisdom and power and majesty and knowledge chose Mary, this young girl, young lady, to be the mother of the Son of God. She alone was chosen. We see that that election of God, that Mary would be chosen to be the mother of Jesus. But by her own testimony, she confesses her need for a Savior. In her song of praise, after the angel comes to her and describes to her what's about to take place in her life, she sings that beautiful song of praise in Luke in verse 1, in chapter 1 and verse 46. She says, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She refers to him as her own Savior, for he hath regarded the low estate, the low condition, though I am a sinner, she would say, yet he is my God and my Savior. The low estate of his handmaiden, and handmaiden there literally is bond slave. The teaching of her being the queen of heaven or the co-redemptrix or the co-mediator along with Christ is absolutely unscriptural. There's not one shred of scripture that supports such unscriptural things, unfounded and made up by man. These were never teachings of the early church. Mary was in need of grace, as we all are. It neither uh, takes nothing from Christ's sinlessness to understand that Mary is all naturally conceived people are, are sinners. That takes nothing away from Christ's deity. But God did graciously choose Mary to be the channel through whom the Savior would come. Remember, he told Eve that back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, her seed would bruise the serpent's head. All authority would be removed from Satan and put in crown on King Jesus. We see in verse 1 that both David and Abraham are also clearly sinners. Though David may be regarded as the most, uh, the royal of the kings of Israel, we know his story, don't we? We've read his biography. We've read a true biography written by God himself. We've seen David on his darkest day, his horrible sin with Bathsheba, his arranging of the murder of her husband, the death of that child. Abraham, we're studying Abraham's life, and twice Abraham has lied about Sarah being his wife. And yet God made him to be the originator of the father of the Hebrew nations. Isn't Isn't that grace? The grace of God that forgives and cleanses. Oh, we praise him for his free, unmerited grace. Neither David, nor Abraham, nor Mary, nor you, nor I can claim that we we deserve this favor, this grace that God, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Why? Lest any man should boast. Jesus was the son of David, by royal descent, and the son of Abraham by racial lineage. And all through these genealogies, we see the grace of God shown and lavished upon common sinners such as we are. That's what the the story of Christmas is all about, the celebration of the birth of Christ. We see how exact the Holy Spirit is. Every prophecy so gloriously and wondrously fulfilled, not by the will of man, even the Roman emperor who decides that he will cause a taxation 
and everyone have to go back to their hometown. Where do you think he got that idea? I'm sure some nickel-counting treasurer told him to, to do that. But that was not that man's idea, was it? Someone must have whispered to, to, to the Caesar, how do you know you're getting all the money you should? You own, the, Rome owns all these countries and the provinces and the sun never sets in the Roman Empire. And so he decided he'd find out. And so he decided he would make everyone go back. The only way to do it is to have a census and make sure they were taxed. But Mike had already said that was going to take place hundreds of years before. God directs man's steps, does he not, in the ways of man. Well, may the Lord bless his word as we prepare our hearts during this season.